0: This is the Roast and Reason podcast. Join your host, Andrew Boyer, as we explore the world of specialty coffee. So grab a cup of your favorite coffee and let's dive in. Welcome to Roast and Reason. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Roast and Reason podcast. Thanks for joining me for another episode. I'm actually really excited about this episode. This is going to be the first episode of a series where we talk about where coffee comes from. I really believe that as consumers, we make better decisions when we know where the things that we're buying come from, how they're made, how they're processed, where our food comes from, where our coffee comes from. And in 2017, almost 2018 now, I feel like we've gone away from knowing where our food comes from. If you think about 50 to 100 years ago, at least in America, a lot of people farmed their own food. They made their own food. They processed their own food. We've gone away from that. We've gone away from that in a big way to where most of our food comes from the supermarket. And that's about it. And again, at least in America, you can you can still, within a, an hour or two hours of your house, find a local farmer that you can visit. And you can connect in that way, or you can go to a local farmer's market or join a farmer's co-op. We don't have the same luxury when it comes to coffee. Other than Hawaii, coffee does not grow in America. Coffee doesn't grow in Europe. So really, the areas that most of the coffee consumption happens in the world, coffee doesn't grow there. So you can't really just up and visit a coffee farm and learn about where your coffee comes from and how it's farmed and how it's processed. Of course, you can do that. You can hop on a plane and go to Central or South America, but most of us aren't going to take the time to do that. So that's kind of what we're going to do in this series of episodes. We're going to go to the level of the coffee farm. We're going to talk about how coffee is grown, how it's harvested, how it's processed, both so we can understand some of this and because a lot of these details affect the quality of the coffee and the taste of the coffee. There's a ton of different processing methods that result in dramatically different tastes. And you can be a better, more informed consumer when you know some of this. So we're going to dive right in and we're going to go to the level of the coffee tree. So coffee is a tree. It doesn't come from the sky. We get our coffee beans from the coffee tree. There are actually over 100 different species of coffee plants in the world The majority of our coffee comes from one of those plants. It's called Arabica coffee. So if you ever saw a bag of coffee that said 100% Arabica coffee beans, that's what it means. Arabica coffee is a specific species of coffee plant. There are 99 others of them. Most of those species don't produce coffee that we use commercially at all. Actually, only four species produce coffee that is consumed by humans, but the vast majority of it, and probably the best of it, is Arabica coffee. So about 70% of worldwide coffee, commercial coffee production, is Arabica coffee. So for the purpose of this discussion, from here on out, I'm going to use the word coffee, but I'm really referring to this specific Species of coffee plant, Arabica coffee. So coffee is grown in coffee farms or coffee plantations. These coffee plantations have a nursery. That's where the coffee seeds or coffee beans are planted. Soon after the beans are planted, seedlings pop up, sprouts or seedlings, in the world of coffee, they're called soldiers. The reason why they're called soldiers is because they look like a soldier with a little soldier helmet on it. So it literally looks like a coffee bean resting on top of a thin green stalk. Google it. Google coffee soldiers. They look, they look pretty funny. So it that eventually these beans on the top of this stalk burst open. And from the inside, so from that bean, multiple small green leaves appear. So that's the leaves of the coffee seedling. These seedlings grow pretty rapidly. So they, they remain in the nursery for the first six to 12 months of their lives. They're nurtured through several different early stages of development. After that point, they're then transplanted to the plantation grounds. Coffee trees can start producing coffee fruit at about 12 months of life. So they can start producing fruit early, but they don't really come into their prime and start producing coffee normally until they're about three years old. So there's a big lag, if you're a coffee farmer, there's a big lag from when you plant and put all that work into planting coffee seedlings to when you start getting a return on your investment and a return on your work. It's about three years. So that's pretty significant. These coffee trees, even Arabica coffee trees, again, we're still talking about one species of coffee here, they come in a variety of different shapes and sizes. That's because there are numerous different types of Arabica coffee. They're called varietals or cultivars. Think of it like grapes used for wine. So wine grapes are one species. But within that species, there are numerous different varietals of grapes. Think about it. Pinot Noir, Merlot, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Cabernet Sauvignon. Those are all different varietals of the same species of grape. And they produce wildly different wines. A Pinot Noir tastes nothing like a Chardonnay. But it's the same species. It's just different varietals. The same is true with Arabica coffee. So you get various different varietals of Arabica coffee. Some common ones that you might see if you read about this or if you go to a specialty coffee roastery Sometimes they'll have or frequently they'll have the varietal type or varietal blend on the bag of coffee. Some common names include Typica, Bourbon, Geisha, SL28, and SL34. Now there are tons more than that. Those are just some very common ones that you might see. Just like with wine, these different coffee varietals have different flavor profiles. They produce different coffees. Now, you probably won't be able to pick up a bag of Tipica versus Bourbon coffee and taste the difference. The reason is your palate's not developed enough. And that's not a knock on you. My palate's not developed enough. Really, unless you are a professional coffee taster, and that's what you do all day every day, these differences in flavor profile and body between different types of Arabica coffee can be very, very, very subtle. But they are there. The coffee trees between these different varietals can look different too. The shapes of the leaves can be different. The color of the coffee fruit can be different. The distribution of the fruit on the tree can be different. So there's a huge variety here. Most coffee trees, now again we're talking generalization again, most coffee trees produce one crop per year. Now in some some regions of the world, there are two crops per year, but on average... There's one crop of coffee produced per year. That coffee is preceded, so several months before the crop, there is typically a prolonged heavy rain. That rain causes changes in the tree. So the tree blossoms with small white flowers that have the fragrance that's pretty similar to jasmine. Arabica coffee trees are self-pollinating, so really each of these flowers that blossom on the tree will become a coffee fruit unless they're knocked off the tree by wind or by birds or by some sort of mechanical reason. Interestingly, coffee trees don't produce that much coffee. So the average annual output of a single coffee tree is a pound of dried coffee beans. So think about that for a second. If you go to the grocery store or go to your local coffee shop and you buy a pound, a 16 ounce bag of coffee, how long does that last you? I mean, for me, it's a week, two weeks, and I may be a little abnormal there, but it doesn't last that long. It took one coffee tree an entire year to make that. So that's pretty remarkable. So the, f- the coffee tree doesn't produce coffee beans, right? It produces a fruit, which is called a cherry. It's called the coffee cherry. So let's talk a little bit about the coffee cherry. It's the fruit of the tree. The size Of a coffee cherry can vary based upon the specific varietal of coffee tree. Just like I said, the shape of the leaves can vary, the size of the tree can vary, the taste of the coffee can vary between these different varietals of Arabica coffee. The size of the coffee cherry can vary as well. On average, a coffee cherry is about the size of a grape. However, there's some pretty significant differences between a grape and a coffee cherry. A grape, even, even non-seedless grapes, even grapes that have seeds in the middle, the majority of that grape is the fruit with a small seed in the middle. The exact opposite is true for a coffee cherry. The majority of a coffee cherry volume is the coffee bean. There's actually very, very, very little fruit in a coffee cherry. All coffee cherries begin green. As they ripen, they deepen in color. The most common color of coffee cherry is red. However, some cherries mature with a yellow or even orange color as they ripen. The reason why red is the most common actually has to do with coffee farmer preference, So, a red cherry is easier to see, it's easier to to determine when it is ripe. Because a red cherry will go from green to yellow to red. If you're looking at a red or if you're looking at a yellow cherry, it's harder to tell okay, am I dealing with an immature teenage yellow coffee cherry or is this mature and ready to pick? The red cherries are much easier to determine, okay, this coffee is mature, it's ready to pick, it's ready to go. So that's why red is the most common color. The coffee cherry color itself doesn't really affect the color of the final coffee. So red cherries don't taste different from orange cherries. Like any other fruit, so like an apple, like a pear, the sweetness of the coffee cherry increases as the fruit ripens. So in general, the sweeter the cherry is, the better the final flavor of the coffee is going to be. So you really, the the emphasis when it comes to harvest time is really picking the ripest cherries right at their prime and not picking the cherries that aren't ripe yet. This isn't an easy task because cherries on the same tree, even on the same branch, ripen at different times. So, quality coffee farmers really focus on just picking those ripe cherries, which can be very, very labor intensive and is often done by hand. While I mentioned that there's not much fruit in the coffee cherry, the fruit actually is edible. And it's edible right off the tree. You can pick a ripe ripe coffee cherry right off the tree and eat it. The flavor of the coffee cherry is kind of like a honeydew melon. It's floral, sweet, and has a little bit of a a tart, acidic aftertaste on the back end. So the coffee cherry is, is covered by this skin that's typically red. And it has several layers underneath that skin. So I want to talk a little bit about the anatomy of the coffee cherry because it matters. It comes back into play when we talk about processing coffee. So I want to go into it a little bit at this point. So it's covered by a protective skin. Right underneath the skin is the fruit. So the fruit can also be called the pulp. Just deep to the fruit layer, there is a gel-like sugary substance called the mucilage. The coffee seed or the coffee bean lives underneath this mucilage layer. And there are several protective layers that line the coffee bean there's a thick protective layer called the parchment layer that will be removed during the processing period or right after the processing, but before the coffee is shipped. Just deep to that parchment layer, there's a thin layer. There's another thin layer called the silver skin or chaff. This layer actually stays on and surrounds the coffee bean until the point where it's roasted. So this is a byproduct of coffee roasting. As the coffee coffee bean expands during roasting, it actually kind of spits out or or knocks off this silver skin or chaff layer. And again, like I said, I'll come back to some of these layers when we talk about processing because different processing techniques remove these different layers at different times and that can actually dramatically affect the flavor of the coffee. So those those are important things that we'll come back to. So within each coffee cherry, there are typically two coffee beans. The side that faces each other is flat. So that's why coffee beans typically have one flat side. That flat side was pressed right up against another coffee bean in the same cherry. There is one exception to know about, and that's called a pea berry. berries occur when there's only one coffee bean in a coffee cherry. So these aren't specific types of coffee tree. They can happen on any coffee tree. They make up about 5% of the total coffee harvest. These beans are round or oval shaped. They don't have a flat side. And You normally don't see pea berries in your bag of coffee. The reason why is they're normally separated from the rest of coffee and they're processed differently. There's two main reasons for this. Some people actually specifically hunt these beans down, these pea berries down, and claim that they have a unique flavor and desirable qualities. I don't totally know if this is true. I've had some very, very good Peaberry coffees. I've had some not-so-good Peaberry coffees. The other reason why they're separated, though, is they have a different shape and a different size compared to the rest of the coffee from that harvest. And so they roast, or they can, roast differently. And one of the keys to good coffee roasting is consistency. You basically want each coffee bean to be roasted the same way so that you can get a fairly consistent flavor to that coffee when you brew it. So pea will roast differently than the rest of the coffee and, and introduce some inconsistencies. So that's another reason why they're separated. So at this point, we've talked about the coffee tree, we've talked about the coffee fruit, and a little bit about the coffee bean within the coffee fruit. But in order for us to get that coffee eventually to the roaster where it can be roasted and then in our cup so we can drink it, we need to get it off the tree. So it needs to be harvested. So let's talk a little bit about how coffee is harvested. And this will be the last topic that we talk about today. The next step after harvesting is called processing. Coffee processing is a fairly varied step. There are multiple different ways to do it and those different ways have a pretty significant impact on the final quality and flavor of coffee. So I want to spend a decent amount of time talking about coffee processing and so I'm going to devote almost all of the next episode to coffee processing and why it matters and what you as a consumer can look for to determine what coffee processing technique you prefer, what flavors they they cause in the final coffee, and so on and so forth. But let's take a step back and go back to coffee harvesting. So after the coffee tree blossoms, it takes about six to nine months for the coffee cherry to develop, grow, and ripen to the point where it's ready to be harvested. There are several different methods for harvesting coffee. The cheapest is called machine harvesting. This technique is pretty common in Brazil where they have very, very large coffee plantations. And a lot of these large coffee plantations in Brazil are located on flat land instead of hilly land. So these machines, one, one of the requirements of using a machine to harvest is you need flat land where the machine can operate. So these machines essentially drive up and down the coffee plantation. They grab on to the coffee tree and they shake the shit out of it until the fruit literally falls off. They literally just shake the tree until the fruit falls off onto the ground. This method, this method is fast. It's cheap. It doesn't require a lot of man hours, but it has a ton of downsides. The biggest downside is, if you think about it, if you shake a fruit tree, whether it's a coffee tree or an apple tree or a pear tree, you're going to knock off both ripe fruit and immature not ripe fruit. You also could damage the fruit as it falls to the ground. The biggest issue, though, is this combination of ripe and unripe harvesting at the same time. Coffee from unripe cherries don't doesn't taste very good. So machine-harvested coffee is typically of a lower quality than hand-picked coffee because you're getting some inconsistencies between coffee that's really ready and ripe and coffee that's not. And with hand-picking, you can tailor that to pick only the ripe cherries. Because most of the world's coffee is grown in hilly areas, machines are really limited. So most of coffee is still picked by hand. There are several different methods to hand-pick coffee. The fastest and cheapest is called strip-picking. In this method, basically all of the cherries of one branch are stripped or picked together in one rapid movement. So it's again, it's still hand-picked, but again, you're getting ripe and unripe fruit harvested at the same time. Big limitation with this technique. The other method involves careful hand-picking of only the ripe cherries. This is the best and most effective way of harvesting high-quality coffee. But as I said, the coffee cherries on the same tree, even the same branch, mature at a different rate. So this process, it gives us the best quality coffee, but it's really labor-intensive. And only the ripe cherries are picked which means you're leaving unripe cherries, which means you have to come back to the same trees or same rows of trees later and harvest those cherries as they mature later on. So a lot of man hours goes into the highest quality harvesting method. So after the coffee is harvested, the cherries are sorted. So regardless of what method you use for harvesting, you need to sort the cherries. And the goal in the sorting process is to separate the ripe cherries from any unripe cherries. This isn't a perfect process. So you can't make up for the limitations of something like strip picking or machine harvesting just by sorting the cherries. So you don't get all of the unripe cherries, but the goal is to get as many unripe cherries out with the sorting process. This can be done by hand. And hand sorting is typically done on small farms who don't have the resources to purchase equipment that can help the sorting process or in areas of the world where labor costs are very low and it's just more effective to pay somebody to do it. The other method of sorting coffee uses flotation tanks. So these are big tanks filled with water that you dump the harvested coffee cherries into. The purpose of this is ripe cherries sink to the bottom and unripe unripe cherries float to the top. So you can literally just skim the unripe cherries off, separate them, and then take the ripe cherries that have sunk to the bottom and keep them as your final product. After the coffee cherries are harvested and sorted, they're processed. As I mentioned Coffee processing is a fairly complex process. There are multiple different ways to process coffee, and those different ways dramatically affect the final product. So that will be the major focus of the next episode. So that is all I have for you today. I hope this was informative. I hope you have a better understanding of where coffee comes from, If you have any questions from this episode, feel free to email me. I'm at andrew at roastandreason.com. I'd love to hear from you. Also, if you can go onto iTunes and leave a rating and review, I would really, really appreciate that. That helps me get this podcast out to other listeners. I read um, every rating and review, and and I want to know uh, what you guys think. Uh, And if you have any other topics that you'd love to hear me cover on this podcast, feel free to let me know that too. So I will see all of you guys next time when we go into the topic of coffee processing.